Hello fellow listeners and viewers of Kiwi Talks. Unfortunately on this episode I had some technical issues with my microphone, so I had to resort to using my computer internal microphone. With that being said, the show isn't even about me, it's more about the guest. And in this episode, Grant talks for a majority of the show as I merely steer the conversation. I still hope you can enjoy the episode with the legend himself. Thank you so much, Grant. Now, onto the show. Welcome everyone to the special edition of Kiwi Talks. I am speaking to one of the greatest video game composers of all time. He's composed for Banjo, Goldeneye, Perfect Dark, Mario Plus Rabbits, and so much more. I'd like to welcome Bryant Kirkhope. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good, good. Glad to be talking to you during these weird times, for sure. Oh yeah, too right. Crazy times. <laughs> yes, but you're alive and well and kicking, which is the main thing. Yes, yes, at the moment. It seems to be all going well at the moment. Who knows, though? We're all we're staying isolated, etc. you know, so uh, with the crazy president we've got, who knows what might happen next. Yeah, well, that's right, that's right. And you've got elections just around the corner. Yeah, so it's, it's actually this is our first time voting in the big election as uh, citizens. So uh, my son's just turned 18 too, so we can all, we voted in the midterms, but it's the first time we get, get to vote in the proper big election, so we're going to vote like crazy. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Because how long have you been in LA now? Uh, since 2012. We've been, I think we're citizens like 2015, something like that, 2016, around there. Yeah. So we were green card holders before. You can't vote with a green card. You've got all the same rights as a citizen apart from voting with, as a green card holder. You have to be a citizen to vote. So we took the citizens thing, it must have been four years ago, I can't remember, but anyway, we can vote properly now. So. Right, right. But was the main intent for when you moved to LA, was that so you could compose for film? Was that the main reason? Yeah, sort of, yeah, I guess. Uh, I just feel like this is a hub, right? I mean, for someone like me who's completely unknown in film, um, yes, that's a, I guess that's the main reason we moved here. We are in Baltimore yeah. for 2008, and then we moved here 2012. Have you had much luck on that front with the whole film thing? It's tough. I mean, I've done, a, I've done some stuff, not lots. I've done a couple of indie stuff. I've done a, 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 a little short animation. I've actually done one major movie, which is called The King's Daughter, starring Pierce Brosnan, would you believe, like GoldenEye, et cetera. Yeah, I remember um, that. But that's, um, it's been fighting over for like four years now. I don't know what they're quite not, what they're fighting over, um, but it's not out. It's a full on, you know, it was filmed at the Palace of Versailles in Paris, cost $40 million. It's a proper big full on movie. I did it with two other composers. We did it, we did it together. Um, and it's kind of a fantasy sort of thing, Disney-esque, I guess. Well, it's a bit darker than Disney, but it's, a, it's got that kind of root to it. Um, <clears throat> But it's just not out, and it's, there's some fight about something, and I don't quite know what it is. I guess it'll be out one day. Who knows? Do you have to work like when you when you got there? Did you get a, an agent of some sort to help you try and find uh, any type of film that you could compose for? Or is so, it just... I think in the past agents did a lot more than they do these days, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I feel like agents now are kind of the deal maker, the deal closer. So they take care of the financing and, you know, the sort of the contracts out, makes sure it's all with the legal department, makes sure it all looks like it's supposed to look like, you get the right rates for your music, all that kind of stuff, and they cover that, it's to cover you, like, illegally. <coughs> Pardon me. I feel like in the past, they maybe did a bit more client promotion. Um, or maybe they just thought they'd do me, I don't know. Uh, but I did, I did try to get an agent when I first got here, thinking it would be easy, and it was very hard. I went through all the kind of, um, from the biggest to the smallest, and no one would take me on. Um, and then um, I really wanted to be at an agency called Gorefain's Thoughts because John Williams is on that agency. Yeah, and yeah. He's my, he's my hero. 
uh, and you know Michael Giacchino and Brian Tyler and they've got gazillions of great composers on there and quite a lot of good game guys too and I did eventually get on there but it was a bit of a hooker by crook trying as hard as I could I finally got them to take me on so they do represent me now um, so I feel like having an agent is a bit like it legitimizes you so if someone's trying to get you for a movie they know you're gonna you, you're gonna do the job that you say you're gonna do so right, you know, I see. Yeah, it's, that, it's that kind of thing where it's a, like a shop front in a way it's sort of like you know they can trust the fact you know there's anybody you've got an agent and then I've got a very powerful agent you know who if you know if they if they know if they book me to do something I'm going to do it I'm not going to be I'm not going to run away with the money or something like that so I guess it's a bit like that mm-hmm. I do find it strange though that you'd have to work that hard given your name I mean you're well known I mean you got nominated for for a BAFTA and, and, and other awards, I'm sure. So I find it strange that people wouldn't just be like, oh my gosh, Grant, yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I still feel like games is slightly looked down upon as a second cousin to the, to the movie guys. Even though games are arguably bigger than movies these days, certainly in the money they're raking financially. Mm. Um, so I do, I do feel like um, it's still a little bit like that. Like a lot of the directors, the older directors, don't... Just think, maybe just think if you do games, it's like, it sounds like a Game Boy. They don't know that games have now moved into full orchestra, just like movies are no different, really. I just think that they don't really realize that. So, I do think that I feel like the only way to get into some kind of movie situation is to know the director, which is pretty tough, like because they get pitched by people all the time, right? Um, and I've pitched for Hundreds, not hundreds, but lots of things at Disney, Pixar, all over the place, Cartoon Network, you name it. I've not got any of them. I must have done 30 or 40 maybe of those pitches and got absolutely nowhere. Not even a callback, not even a second chance. Just like, no. Um, and um, and I, I feel like that kind of cold calling pitching thing, it's unlikely you're going to get it. Because there's going to be 80 or 90 composers going for each of those jobs, which is credible, right? Yeah, yeah. Some of the guys might send in two or three submissions. So you'll, you triple it instantly, like 160, you know, 240 composers. You know what I mean? It's like it's, it gets, it's ridiculous. So if you're the guy trying to find the composer for the show you're working on and you've got 240 entrants, how are you going to work out who's the guy for the show, right? You're probably going to go through the first 10 and go, oh, he'll do. Because you're not going to listen to all 240 submissions. It would take you, all, take you weeks, right? So I do think that the path is somehow have that chance meeting where you meet the director. Like I've met, met, met a guy now called Michael Matteo Rossi, who I've just done his last movie called Shadows and he's I've done his new movie called uh, The Handler, which is not out yet. And Shadows is not out yet, actually. It's going to be out later this year, I think. So he was, he was a, a games fan. He's in his 30s. I kind of feel that's, the, that's my target director. Somebody in the 30s who, who played... Because like, you know, as you get to, to younger guys, everyone plays video games these days, right? The director's in the 60s, probably not. 50s, probably not. But in the 30s... 40s maybe these guys have played games certainly in the 30s so there's a more chance of them knowing me or, or played games that i've worked on so like michael had played goldeneye and donkey Kong 64 and all sorts so he was like oh yeah grant you know he knew who i was so it was fine right and um, so that's kind of the way i think it works i think you have to somehow get yourself into a position where you meet a director which is ridiculously hard um yeah, yeah. but it's like it's not like they hang out in a little room together and you have to go and, <laughs> you have to go and find them you know <laughs> it's the trouble you because you've got to it's that chance meeting or something like that where you, you find someone like that. So I do think it's a hard thing. People do get lucky things happen uh, to composers. You know, it's, 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 it's uh, few and far between, but it happens. Like Michael Giacchino had done Call of Duty. J.J. Abrams had played the game, got him to do the Alias TV show, and then that was off, right? Lost, and, and that was, that was it. It was off in his, his film career, right? 
after that TV TV ended lost and then got into films. The first movie was uh, The Incredibles. So like it just happened. But I can't think of another games composer like that apart from him. I can't think of anybody else actually. Um, yeah. So, do you feel Do you feel that uh, you have more room for diversity within video game composing as opposed to film though? Because usually with film, it's a bit more. Usually it's a bit more cinematic, right? Whereas with games, it can vary from game to game. I mean, obviously you're composing for Banjo and Donkey Kong. is very different from, say, Perfect Dark and GoldenEye. Right. I mean, I, yeah, I do get that. But I feel like um, sometimes the, movie, the, the, movie, the movies these days seem to me to be pushing slightly towards less, less melodic, memorable tunes like they used to. Like I yeah. feel like your know, John Williams scores or whatever the eighties, nineties, etc. They're all the big melodies you remember forever, and, that, and from that point onwards, it gets to be less prevalent. Um, and I don't quite know why that is. Uh, I guess I'm the kind of guy that writes likes to write a tune. But you have to remember that you're looking at a game like Mario Rabbids or even Civilization, they're big epic scores, right? And, and the and the cinematic sequences are just like movies stuck together, right? It's no different. It's a cinematic sequence that's ten minutes long. You got to write music for it. It's like a like a scene in a movie, right? It's no different. So. Um, it's just getting people to understand that, um, you know, games have come a long way since the Game Boy. <laughs> that was like 1995 or, or 1990. Like, and I think some, a lot of people don't believe that. They don't know what's going on in games. So they still think it sounds like that or like an arcade machine. They don't really know it sounds like, you know, we're, we're all writing, you know, a lot of us are writing big, huge, giant orchestral scores that are just as cinematic as movies, no difference, right? Mm. So... I do feel like, it, you know, it's getting that across. It's getting across, but it's, it's a slow process because the older directors still won't believe it. You know, they have to have heard something you've done to get you in. Like, they're just going to go, right, I'm, I'm, I've got a multi-million dollar movie. I'm, I'm making a triple-A movie here. I need one of the Hollywood guys. I'll pick one of the Hollywood guys because they've done it a million times before. They're not going to take a risk on somebody new in case it goes wrong and they look daft for doing it and cost the studio money, right? So everyone's scared of losing the jobs. So... That's that thing that you have to kind of overcome. So I'm just trying as hard as I can, like anybody else is. Because how, how do you go about composing? Do you just sit there and jam? Do you have a melody in your head? Do you start with a chord progression? Because obviously you have a very, very good sense of melody. But I'm just interested in your actual process. Yeah, I mean, like my process hasn't changed since I started around 95. It's no different. I'm not a very intellectual composer. I'm the kind of guy that just sits there and messes around to like, like the sound of it. And I'll find a melody or a chord sequence or whatever it is, load up a sample, a clarinet, a bassoon, a synth, whatever. Um, and start messing around till I hear the thing that I like, you know. And I guess that, you know, it's a bit like handwriting, you know, I write music a certain way. It's just, to, you know, I, I like sounds of certain chords, certain chord sequences, certain, certain melodies. So I guess you, you, you get your own style after a while because you just like things a certain way. And I guess people hire me for that reason. Um, and you, you know, when you handwrite something, you've got your own style of handwriting. It's just the way you are, right? It's a bit like hearing Brian May play the guitar. You can you can you know it's him a mile away even before you know it's him because he's just got a certain way he plays notes, where he selects notes, the, the vibrato. Eddie Van Halen, of course, you know, just passed away. And um, it's not the same thing. You know him a mile away, right? And those are the guys that you remember because they've got their own style. So I do feel like I just mess around, but it just comes out sounding like me most of the time, you know, unless I'm trying to sound like something else. Yeah, so when you, because I think the big first game that you did kind of was GoldenEye. I mean, you did the little, right. you did work on uh, David Wise's uh, score for Donkey Kong, but yeah. GoldenEye was like your first big kind of game, wasn't it? Working yeah. with um, Graham. Right. Uh, so how did you guys decide which, which levels you do in terms of scoring? 
It was just haphazard, really. I just I think what happened was when I first got to Rare, Graham was doing GoldenEye and Blast Core at the same time, and I, was, I started on the Game Boy, and he just said to me, I'm getting busy on Blast Core. Can you take over GoldenEye? He'd done a little bit of it. And I said, yeah, sure. Take, take. So I just, went, I just went through the level list in order. That, that, so that's mostly why they, they turned out as it was. Um, I guess we did about half and half each, I guess, somewhere around there, and Graham did all the sound effects. Um, so it just ended like that. I think it was. I think I just went at the, the level list at the time, and just well, I just ticked them off and went through the ones until I ran out of time, and I got taken onto Banjo Kazooie, and I, I didn't finish Golden. And Graham came back and finished it off. Um, so there was no rhyme or reason to that. It was just the way it turned out. Was it easy and hard at the same time to score? Because I'd imagine when you're scoring GoldenEye, because obviously you already had the chord progression, you knew you had to use the theme, but at the same time you're having to remix the same thing constantly as well. No, it was just super, that was fantastic fun. I think someone like my age, you know, when I was a kid, right, the Bond movies coming out, it was the biggest thing that year. It was the yeah. best movie, at the best sets, the best music, the best everything, right? So getting to do GoldenEye was like fantastic. I couldn't believe it. You know, I got to mess with the, with the gold, with the, the, the James Bond theme, which is amazing. Right? Everyone knows the James Bond theme. So, um, and I think Monty Norman, who wrote the theme, we got the rights to it to use it. I'm not convinced that every the goal, every, any of the Bond game from that put almost got to use it. We could use it anywhere we liked, which is pretty special, right? You know? So, um, you know, I was just trying to think of different ways to do it. And I had a CD, a double CD at the time that contained all the pop songs from all the all the movies to that point. Um, you know, Shirley Bassey and or Duran Duran and all those all those all that stuff. So I loved I listened to those and you know, pick bits out of those that I liked. We had the Eric Serra score, of course, from Golden Knight itself, um, which is a bit of an odd one for, for a Bond score. Um, it's not traditionally Bond sounding, really. Um, but they were trying to update Bond at the time. It was the first time Bond came back with Piers Brosnan, you know, they are trying to make it a different thing. Um, but, you know, to get a chance to mess around with that was fantastic. Like, I really enjoyed it. I had great fun doing it. I just tried to think of different ways to stick stuff together. Like, you know, that frigate is my, is my Faith the More, We Care A Lot beat with Duran Duran's orchestral stab stuck together and my own, you know, you know I mean, it's it just great fun to do it. And of course, it's my first proper game, so I didn't really know what I was doing. So a lot of the times when you don't know what you're doing, the best stuff comes out because you've got no, nothing to judge it by. You just do what's coming out of your head, right? So, That's so I just, true. yeah, I just sort of did what I thought was right and crossed my fingers. Yeah, yeah. So, because obviously you did the first level and the last level. Right. Right. So did you get a trailer or some type of gameplay video when you were scoring it? Or would you just sit down at your keyboard and just be like, okay. Just, yeah, well, because like, GoldenEye was was very late. It was super, super late. So it's supposed to come out with a movie. I don't think it came out to me the next movie. No, so yeah, far yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy behind. So um, I was scoring most of the time to a couple of sentences and a bit of paper that they said, this is the cradle. It's action. Or, I don't know. And I've seen the movie, of course. I knew the scenes from the, from the movie, but um, it was basically that. There was no, doesn't to watch. I never saw any videos. I never saw any gameplay. I just wrote out of my head what I thought was wow. right. Was that the same process with uh, Banjo, Perfect Dark and Donkey Kong? Because you worked on all three of those at the same time, didn't you? Right. Different then, because they had stuff going on. Uh, and we had, I, was, I was sat actually in with the team, all my time at Rare, I was, most of the time I was sat actually in, with the, in the team block with Banjo, the Banjo guys, so we were kind of teamed together. Now I had a room in that, in that block with them. Um, so I was, obviously what's going on every day, people making stuff new, you know, as a, from day one, I knew what Banjo was going, I knew what was going on with Banjo. Um, perfect doubt, not so much because I wasn't in that team block, but I would see it. And Donkey Kong, I wasn't in that team block either, but I would see it. So I knew what was going on with it, so that's different. But I think it was still mostly like, you know, this is an ice level, this is a, a, a you know, a forest, this is a whatever, you know, you still shut your eyes and, and imagine what, what it might be like, you know. 
So Perfect Dark was a sci-fi cyber thing. You know, I was, and I was thinking about the X-Files. I loved the X-Files at the time. And also Blade Runner. I felt like it had that real Blade Runner sense to it. And especially that Chicago Stealth, that's my favorite piece from that game. And um, with the kind of rainy, you know, hot, steamy, like just like Blade Runner at the start. So um, that was thinking about that. And Donkey Kong, of course, is a known quantity. It's, you know, you know what Donkey Kong's going to be like. But I was trying to make it a bit different because I was doing Banjo Tooie and Donkey Kong at, at the same time. So I wanted to try and, because they're both platforms, I wanted to try and separate them both. I felt, in my head, it was like Banjo's a bit more quirky, DK's a bit more dark. Because I felt like Dave Wise's music in Donkey Kong Country, which is fantastic, was a slight, was slightly darker, I felt, in, in feel. So I tried to separate them in my head like that. So that's why, I don't know whether that sounds like to anybody else, but I felt DK is a bit darker than Banjo. Um, but there was certainly more to see on those games. But even so, it's still talking to the, the game director who says, this is the level, I ask him, what's, what's it about? What, what's it set in? What, what are you imagining? Have you got some kind of examples of music? And most of the time they didn't. I just shut my eyes and got on with it. When you wrote uh, Spiral Mountain and Treasure Trove Cove, um, what was your process when you were writing those? Because obviously you would have had notes again, but did, was that yeah. something where you just jammed and then just yeah, took off? Like basic, yeah, basically that's Spider-Man was like, I was just trying to find a jolly tune. That was it. You know, a jolly tune that I felt summed up the, 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 the training level that you trained in. Treasure Trove Cove was slightly different. I, I, I'd written a different piece for that. Right, I went for the game in order. Um, apart from writing, I did the Clock Woods first, but that was because I'd written the piece before. It wasn't quite at the, at the time. Um, so doing Tristan Rocco had another piece going on that's kind of more there's, there's a version of it on YouTube somewhere you can find that's my original version which is kind of a bit more surfy um, and also I had, a, I had a bit kind of a Beach Boys wipeout bit, bit in the middle of it um, right. which, which I've lost that I can't find that um, and that's how it was and that's what was in the game and it wasn't until I got towards the end of the game that uh, Chris Stamper who's one of the, the bosses Chris and Tim Stamper around the company Said, you know, Grant, the rest of the levels are great. We just feel like Treasure Trove Cove and also Mumbles Mountain don't quite fit. And so I rewrote those right at the end of the game. So Treasure, Treasure Trove Cove be kicked into what it is and Mumbles Mountain changed to what it was. Um, Mumbles Mountain had, had more of a, it was more, I'm not bluesy, it was like it's my take on there's a movie called The Elephant Walk something like that's an old black and white movie from the 60s it's got a tune in it a bit like that and I was trying to copy that that, that feel of it because it was a jungle I thought it wasn't I thought it was and so I rewrote Mother's Mountain because I feel like I'd, I'd hit on that kind of banjo quirkiness later in the game and I'd, I'd kind of found that, that tritony style so I went back and switched it to that so Mother's Mountain became what it is more tritony that oddball and similar with Treasure Trafficker so um you know, you just you know, you, if the boss tells you to rewrite it, you rewrite it, right? That's what you do. Well, how often would that happen, though? How how often would you submit something and they'd be like, "No, write it again"? Hardly ever. Hardly ever. Remember, okay. I, yeah, like I think it rare. Um, either the reputation for a bit of a grumpy, miserable git at rare, so people would rather would just leave me alone and <laughs> not moan at me because <laughs> I'd get in such a bad mood about them to rewrite stuff. Which is the wrong attitude completely, but it was kind of funny at the time. Everyone knew I was a bit of a grumpy git, so it's funny. Um, I mean, Greg Mills used to push back on a couple of things, but I, I really find it there's not too many. I, when I look through my, on my rare files now, I've got, I've got them on my computer. When I look through, there's not much in there that I didn't use. Um, I mean, Dream turned into Banjo Kazooie, so I've written 100 some pieces of music for Dream, and a lot of, the, a lot of that stuff got, got, got chucked away. But some of the boss pieces made it into Dream, or other pieces made it into Viva Pinata later, so I did reuse it. Um, so it's not an awful lot of waste at rare. I I'm, I'm mostly wrote the piece and they went, yeah, it's fine. That's, that, that'll fit. So I had very, very little pushback at rare. I guess, you know, 
they trusted me in the end. I guess it, when I was there in the first the first few the first year or so, I guess they didn't trust me. They didn't know what I was going to do. They had no idea if I was going to make it or not. Mm. Then Dave, there was brilliant. Robin, there was brilliant. Graham, there was brilliant. You know, it's like you know, I was a new boy. You know, so who, I could have been completely useless. So I, I guess in the end of it, they trusted me to just get on with it, and I'm going to produce something they liked it. So I guess I, you know, I did all right in the end, um, but not an awful lot of pushback. That's good. I suppose with Nintendo, though, when you did the uh, rearrangement of Spiral Mountain or Smash Brothers, right. there was a lot of back and forth with them, though. Yeah, but that, was, that wasn't that was really... So that, that started off... When I got the, the PowerPoint document from Mr. Sakurai, that, that kind of, it was a composer's kind of Bible, how to, get, how to do it, you know. It was like... Um, it just basically said, be like a four, four, three, four-second intro at the start of the piece, then go straight into the main theme, then take it down a bit in the middle somewhere, and then bring it back up in volume for the, for the loop at the end and wrap it around that was the kind of basic you know you know that the, the, the powerpoint don't talk to any of the mass composers you're all separate etc etc like that so i thought to do spiral mountain I, I didn't i didn't know that was going to be the background then they didn't tell me that i just guessed i just thought i'd do it i thought i just thought what piece shall i pick i thought i'll pick that and they also said to me you can do a medley if you like put your piece put put you know different pieces together so i sent off I started off with a kind of big orchestral intro. I went to the big orchestral bit and I went to the banjo bit that was at the start in the middle somewhere, sent it off. And they said, oh, we like it, but look, we think we'd like it now to start with the dry country and western banjo style at the start and then gradually go orchestral and get big and epic towards them, which is completely opposite to what they asked for in the PowerPoint document. So I did that, uh, sent it off. And I, I, you know, I, it's a bit, actually, we think now we'd like you not to do a medley, key to spiral mountain, but you can, you can have little sections of other music so in, in the middle of the piece there is like little references to other banjo pieces um and that was it loved it but the only thing i did i did about 10 versions of that which is unusual for me but the only thing mr sakurai kept asking for was to have less reverb because i think living in LA, la over here it's all about that big that big kind of hollywood sound and i guess that in nintendo remixes i've got a, quite a dry sound really so they want me to match up with them so i it kept saying turn it down and so i turn it down down and down down to, to where it ends up now um but they loved it. And then, you know, this is to be actually funny enough, the, the, the fighting stage is going to be Sparrow Mountain. I was like, well, that's a stroke of luck, you know. <laughs> and then they said to me, you know what, we really like it. We think we need it for the trailer. And I was like, oh my God, I couldn't believe it. We can use it for the trailer, you know. So I was so flattered that they thought it was that good to use for the trailer. So, um, yeah, that was a really one of those kind of uh, career moments where you're never going to forget it. That, that whole outpouring of emotion when they showed the trailer and people went went ballistic, didn't they? They went crazy when Banjo got announced. It was like such a heartwarming, humbling thing to see people go in tears over the fact that Banjo had made it into Smash Brothers, you know, and I'll never forget that. That was such a special moment for me. And I mean, you know, I've watched the the some of the, re, the reaction videos a couple of weeks ago and like just watching those people like the Nintendo store in New York, like just going crazy and just crying and shouting. And it was just, it was unbelievable. And I was sitting here in tears like everybody else when they announced it. Like it really was. It was like so special. Um, but like they announced it at like 9.40 in the morning, like LA time. Uh, and they said to me, you can't comment on it until the the the, the tune itself and the, the video is up on the Smash Brothers website. So I have to wait. So it was 11 o'clock in the morning for that. So I left out with 9.40 to 11 o'clock, like an hour and 20 minutes. I had to sit there and wait and I couldn't, my Twitter was just going, you know, like this. And I was like, I just, I was dying to go, it's me, it's me, it's me. <laughs> I couldn't say it. <laughs> so finally at 11, they gave me the okay to go. You can, it's okay, you can tweet about it. So I tweeted it out at that point, that little video that I did. Um, but yeah, that was a really, you know, you know, I think to get Mario Rabbids and be the only Western composer to do Mario, which was ridiculous. And then to get Sparrow Mountain at the time, I think I was the only Western composer to be in Smash as well. I mean, you know, that is just like, 
career highlight for me forever. Oh, I may yeah, never get sure. to that. You know, I may never get to that heights ever again. <laughs> I mean, that was a special thing. Well, you'll always be the first guy, even if there's another Western composer that works with Nintendo, Mario or Smash Brothers. You will always be the first guy, so you can always claim that. Oh yeah, I just hope my career keeps going. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but now that you've kind of got your foot in the door with Nintendo, have you ever tried to be like, hey? Need me to compose anything else? I have said to them, if, if, if anything, you know, you think that, that I'd, be, I'd be a good fit for give me a shout and sing the wheel, but they will. But I mean, they've got a lot of good composers at Nintendo. They don't need me, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, so but I mean, I, I feel like there's a there's a there's a line of communication to Nintendo now, um, and that I do know who to contact them, and they, you know, they don't have to get hold of me if they want to get hold of me. So, but like I say, I, th- I don't think it'd be very unlikely because they've got such a lot of great composers over there. They don't need me to do anything for them. They do. I, I mean, uh, before obviously doing this podcast, I was listening to a lot of your stuff and I was listening to Perfect Dark and I was thinking, man, this is, you'd be very good at doing Metroid because it has the similar type of right. feel in terms of like the ambient vibe, um, yeah. futuristic sound, um, and even some of the type of drone type strings that you use, uh, particularly on the, I think the first level that you did. I was thinking, right. man, yeah, you could be real good. And I think I think they're composing it within America as well, so it could probably work out. If, I, know, I mean, you know, I think it's it's nice to get to do a variety of stuff. So, you know, people know me for that kind of quirky, funny sound, but, you know, doing Kingdoms of Amalur and doing Civilization and, you know, games like that, you know, and it's very different, you know. And I've just done something now that's different again, actually, which I can't talk about yet. Um, you know, so it's... Um, you know, as a composer, it's nice to get a variety of stuff to do. It's, it's nice. And I do feel like us media composers, like we like to call ourselves these days, you have to be good at just about everything. You have to be able to get around as many things as you can to make yourself more employable. You know, so if you're good at one thing, you, you're probably not going to get employed too much. But you can do lots of different styles well. You may, be, you, put, you, may be, you may be going to get a bit more work, you know. So and I think that's a lesson I've learned from Rare, like having to work on so many different things. You do have to just be a jack-of-all-trades, really. Yeah, do you prefer freelancing to working at an actual company? I do, actually, a lot. I mean, because I guess you miss the camaraderie a little bit, but I'm pretty miserable, so I like my own company. Um, <laughs> well, it's good but, at the moment, specifically. So Right, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I think that um, what I like about me being a freelancer is, I mean, it's a bigger risk because you, you might not get any work and you might be done for, right? It's completely possible. But I do like the way... I can set my own work hours. Like I know when I work best. Like I know that I'm best. At, like I'm best first thing in the morning, like eight forty-five to about two in the afternoon. I can. I'm, I'm with it. After that, I get a bit tired and I'm, I'm sleepy. I don't want to do any, any work. So I'll maybe stop working about two and then maybe work again at night if I'm really busy. You know, maybe six, seven, seven, seven o'clock at night. So that's been a company. You can't do that in the afternoons. You have to kind of battle through and maybe not not be very good. So I used to do. I used to do music in the morning and do sound effects in the afternoon because I feel like sound effects are a bit a bit more functional task as opposed to creative music task you know so um um so that's that's why I, I viewed it so i do like being a freelancer i get, I get to see my kids a lot more just stuff things especially living in la because i keep living in, in, in la the commute's always big because no matter where you are it takes forever to get anywhere because the traffic's ridiculous yeah so yeah. you know you're back at late at night so um but you know it, it, being freelancer is that thing where you might not have a great year or a great two years or whatever. You might not get any work. People might, might want to employ you. So it's difficult. But I guess there are more people to bump into here. You know, there's an awful lot of entertainment in LA from the movies down to, you name it, everything's here. So you could arrange to meet somebody. You want to meet for coffee and get along with somebody, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know. So um, I do like being in LA. It's super expensive. There's bloody fires are ridiculous, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all that stuff, right? But I do like it. 
has it taught you to be more financially savvy by being a freelancer? Because obviously you're never promised work, right? So you could get a huge amount of work for a certain period and then have none. Um, I know with certain actors that I've talked about, like that's that's one of the things that I've had to learn. I've always been um, financially responsible. Uh, that's the way I am. When I was a kid, my dad died pretty young. I was only 16 when my dad died. Um, Mum had to work every crap job you can think about to, to make to make ends meet for me and my brother. Um, my brother moved out. It was just me and her for ages. So I, I always, you know, we, can't, we went from being like reasonably all right off to being very badly off for quite a long time. So I think this really taught me, you know, to always have something in, in reserve. I'll always keep money back. I, I'm not. A, I'm not a crazy stupid spender. I've never been like that. My wife thinks I'm just too tight. Like I say, I'm Scottish, right? So what can you say? Um, <laughs> I'm Scottish, you know, I was born in Scotland, but I lived a lot of my life in Yorkshire. That's equally tight. Some Scottish-Yorkshire, it's the worst combination for being tight in the world. Um, so, um, you know, I feel like I have always been the kind of person that will have something sat there just in case for a rainy day. So I've always been like that. Do you work well under pressure? I do. Um, I do like pressure, actually. I mean, I think my wife always says that, you know, when I'm not under pressure, I'm a, I'm a pain in the ass. Uh, so I do like that thing where I've got to get things done quickly. And I, I'm a, I'm a, I speak fast, right? I do everything fast. I'm a fast worker, so I do get stuff done quick. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I guess, um, yeah, I like the pressure. I mean, I've never been in, under, I had one year where it was ridiculous, and I kind of thought it was my own fault for taking on too much work. But apart from that, I've been all right. I do like that, that pressure of getting stuff done. It, it's makes me, it makes you be creative. And I guess also, you know, I've been a staff composer at Rare for 12 years, which was a great training to be. I'm not the kind of composer that sits, uh, in a darkened room, waiting for the hand of the Lord to hand me a song. I'm not, I'm not like that. I'm, the, I'm a workman-like composer. I sit down and play something. I don't get right, I don't really get right with block. I just I'm, I just get on with it. I could not like a conveyor belt, but being a staff composer, I mean, you went to work in the morning at nine o'clock, you started writing music at nine, and you finished at five, went home and did it the next day, and the next day, and the next day. So I feel like sometimes a lot of composers get a little bit like, I've got to sit and wait for inspiration, and you know, I don't have that. I don't do that. I just that's really like good. A, yeah, I get on with it. Like I feel like set yourself. You know, I speak to other composers who have trouble. I say, look, you know, set yourself hours. You work from nine to five or whatever it is, but set yourself those hours that you sit there and do it. You don't go do anything else. You sit at the keyboard and look at it and you play the first note and the second note and the third note. Before you got it, you've got to tune. Before you know it, you've got to tune. And I feel like that's the way I look at it. I think when it's a job, like it's a job for me, you have to be able to pull it out of your bottom. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'll sort of call it. I just think you've got to do it like that. So, um, you write something every day. If it's crap, it's crap. You write something every day. It's, it's the only way to do it. That's the yeah. way I feel about it. I think that having that staff training, doing about staff experience for all those years, has to be a good stead for, um, you know, getting on with it. Have, um, in regards to when you write a piece of music, have you ever written a piece of music and be like, this is so good. This is going to be iconic, this tune. Or is it just kind of one of those things you just like, oh yeah, write one piece and then on to the next piece. Never really I'm think not, about it again. Not, yeah, but I mean, that makes sense. I'm not, I'm not matter of fact. I don't just go, oh, I just toss it off and not care. I'm not like that. Like I do try, you know, massively hard, everything I ever write, always. Um, and you never know if it's going to be good or not until somebody else hears it. You might think it's great, but this person might not. It's just the way it is. And I think as a, as a composer for hire, like I am, you can't get too attached to music. You have to be prepared to go, right, I'll start again. You don't like it, I'll do it again. You know, when you're writing, if you write your own music, a pop song of your own or a piece of your own, you do what you like. It's up to you. Anything you like, you, you know, you're going to get yourself to please. But when, you, when you're hired out of somebody else, you have to be prepared to go, yeah, I'll change it, even though you think it's brilliant. He's got, you know, I feel like 
I would say to other composers, you know, don't argue with the creative director. It's a stupid idea. They're just going to fire you and get somebody else to do it. It's just not a clever thing yeah. to do. You know, it's, and like so many composers are going to go, I'm the composer. I know what I'm talking about. This guy, the creative director, is not musical. He doesn't understand that. I, 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 I understand it. He doesn't understand it. And like, no matter how many times you tell him it's a great chord and a great tune, he's just going to go, I, just, I don't care. I don't like it. You know, that's, that's what you're up against. You have to go, you have to, to go fine. I'll do it again. I'll change it. You know, I, my experience at Rare have been a grumpy git and not doing stuff really and, and kind of, you know, being that way. I'm completely opposite now. If someone says change it, I'll just go fine. I'll do it. I, I haven't got a problem with that because they're paying me money. And, you know, if I hire the guy to fix my car or whatever it is, I want it fixed the way I want it fixed, right? I don't want it fixed the way you want it. I want to do it what I want to do. Or do the garden, whatever it is. You want to get the, get it the way you want it, right? So, Anybody hiring a composer is exactly the same as that. They want the music the way they want it to be. And it doesn't matter what you think. You, obviously, they want to hear your, your, your input and you're going to write something that you think is appropriate. But if they don't like it, it's like, well, yeah, great. Like, That's great, but the music I don't like it. It doesn't fit. It's no point arguing about it. Just go, right, I'll do it again. What's the point of arguing? Because there's like 8 million people stood behind you. And 8 million people stood behind you want to take that job. You wouldn't want to take your job. You'll take it, you'll jump into your shoes immediately, you get fired. You know, so... Uh, it's a fruitless exercise to disagree with the creative director. Is it the same? Is it the same in the UK though, in terms of the uh, rules around around works? Because I know, say in America, you know, you can just get fired just whenever. Is that the same? Does, do those same rules apply within the UK? Like when you were no, working at Rear, was it? Is it different, yeah, different in terms yeah. of the work laws? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I feel it's different in the UK. You get like written warnings, etc. It's, it's a process to get rid of you. In the US, it's on the spot. Pack your bags. Usually in the US, you'll get called into into HR for a chat, and while you're in the HR, the IT guys outside locking your computer. So when you come back out of getting fired, you can't get your stuff off the computer. Like they do it, that's how they do it. There's no. Oh, yeah. really? Oh yeah. oh yeah, totally. Yeah, there's none of that nonsense. So like you'll, you'll be in the office getting you getting told you're getting fired, while the, and while the IT guys going locking your computer, you can't get into it. You can't get any work off it. Like all that stuff. Yeah, they do. That's how they do it here. So were you aware of that before you went to America? Yeah, I mean. Okay, that. all right. So, is is that kind of what prompted you to kind of shift somewhat and be just do what you're told by the creative? No, director? no, it wasn't. Really, well, no, no, not really. No, not not at all. I think I just feel like yeah, it's that thing. It's that slow understanding of you know. I've seen composers lose very big jobs from arguing with the creative director. Mm. Very big, big franchises going. We're not going to hire you again, mate. Even though like your music, we're not working with you again because you're you're a pain in the ass. You know, so. I learned very early on not to do that. It's just a, it's a, it's a waste of time. It really is. If you want to be that pig-headed, that's up to you. Go and write your own music. And if you get hired by, paid by somebody else, they're going to want it the way they want it, and that's it. If you don't want to do it, I'm sure they're going to find somebody else in five seconds flat. He will do it for the money. Yeah, I think some creative people, though, obviously they get they're almost very sensitive when it, when it comes to their work. I totally get, honestly, I totally get, I'm not immune to it. I don't kind of go, oh yeah, I mean, it hurts. I'm got, you know, I don't yeah, like it. Yeah. I mean, I'm the but, same, you know, I'm the same. So I, I, yeah. totally, I totally get it. I totally get yeah. It. I think yeah. some younger guys don't get that at the start. And they just, they, after, they, after they get fired a few times, they might start to understand it. <laughs> well, yeah, sometimes some people have to learn the hard way, right? Right. Yeah. So is there a particular genre, because obviously when you're dealing with um, video game composing and you deal with different genres is there a particular genre that you struggle to write with not so far um i've been all right i seem to get asked to do a lot of orchestral stuff these days um so i like i like writing orchestral music 
Um, so nothing that I really feel like I can't, I don't think I'd be really good at doing proper EDM. I'm not, I'm not great at that. Um, or something particularly modern like hip hop or something like that. I'd probably, you know, I could probably get around it, but I don't think it'd be that great. Um, well, you, did I mean, I think, you did hip hop for Donkey Kong. Well, I know, but that's not quite, I guess that's uh, arguably not, not particularly high quality hip hop, hip hop right? Um, so, um, I, you know, I'll have a go at anything. That's what, I really will have a go at anything. And I'll see, you know, because I feel like that's part of the trade, right? You listen to busy music, you try and work out what's going on and do it yourself. Hmm. That's how I learned in the first place. And that's how I learn now. If I need to do something, I need to, need to do a John Williams or Crystal piece, I'll try my best. I'll try and work out what he did. If I need to do some kind of rock track, I'm, you know, I've played in metal bands for years, so I'm good at that. Well, I think I'm good at that. I'm reasonable at that. You know, like I, can get, I, think, I feel like I can get around most things apart from things that are, like I say, EDM, I just don't feel like I've got the nous for that. Um, but um, I've never been asked to do that, so. Yeah. So what, do you write stuff fully in MIDI and then get either yourself or another composer to record? Like what, these days, obviously, it's, it's different to the old days, but you know how there's some composers that will, they'll record everything themselves. Because right. like, what instruments do you play? You play keys. Badly. And I play trumpet and guitar well, right. well-ish. Um, I'm a terrible keyboard player. Um, so um, when it comes to orchestral stuff, sometimes they can't afford to employ a live orchestra. So you have to use your samples, right? So you, there's, there's lots and lots of, I'm sure you know, huge, big, huge um, sample libraries out there that's animating, like Spitfire libraries and the Hollywood, Hollywood music and all that stuff that's out there. It's all there to be bought and, you know, it sounds great takes a bit of massaging, you've got to get play out of time, it sounds like human beings, you know. So like on Mario Rabbids, there would be 45 minutes of live orchestra and the rest is just me out the, out the box, you know, here on my, uh, on my sample libraries, yeah. So if they've got the budget, you'll do a live orchestra. If you haven't, you'll do, you'll, you'll do orchestra in your, in, your, in your bedroom, like, you know. Um, and I play guitar, you know, I, I could play most stuff. Um, so, you know, you pro- program the drums, play the bass, play the guitar, play the keys yourself if you need to. You know, so it's that's all doable, I think. Uh, I couldn't play any kind of string instrument like violin or something like that. I couldn't do that. Um, but I could play trumpet and most of the stuff. But, you know, I haven't really come across that really. I've, 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 most of my stuff is either gone to live orchestra or I've done it, on, I've done it out of the box here. So um, I play, yeah, play ukulele for the, for the ukulele game yeah, and bits and pieces yeah. like that, you know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, I learned that to play that. It doesn't take very long to learn to play at least a few chords that get, that get around it. And you can, if you can't play it great, you play it in bits and put it together later, right? You know, so um, I think it's, it's all infinitely doable now. I think that, you know, Hans Zimmer said he can write a film score with a, with a laptop and a mic, and he's, he's, I think he's absolutely right. You probably can. Yeah, I mean, obviously there are some instruments that are a bit more easier to emulate through, say, a keyboard or through a sample pack, orchestral instruments. But like guitars, for example, they're a lot harder to yeah, make I think, sound yeah, realistic. I think, yeah, I think like some things like that, the guitar does tend to sound better if played by somebody. If I'm lucky that I can play that, so that's not a problem for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the orchestra stuff, you can get that to sound pretty good. I mean, people that are over here that just do just do MIDI mock-ups, they call them, you know, in, in, into a, a MIDI orchestra with the sample packs. They sound fantastic. You can't tell the difference. That's all they do. You know, so... Um, if it went to live orchestra, I'd hire a lot of an orchestrator who then take my stuff and put it to music and then go to the orchestra and they play it. That's how it works. Um, so, um, you know, I just think that you, it's, you can do it in your bedroom now. You really can. You know, but for most, it, there's always something you probably can't do. Um, like you need to, you know, I don't know, sample a didgeridoo, you probably have to find someone that plays it, you know, 
I've got a decent didgeridoo library, actually, which is not bad, um, which you probably can't tell. But if, if you found an, like an Alpine horn, the big massive horn that's like 25 feet long in the blow down, it, you're not going to find that in your bedroom, you know. So, but I think a lot of stuff you can get by in your bedroom. Yeah, for sure. I want to go back to Donkey Kong for a second because I want to know what was your process in terms of writing that, the, the, the rap. Did you write the lyrics as well? So, yeah, so what happened was uh, George Andreas, who was the Donkey Kong game director, uh, was an was assistant, assistant designer on Banjo-Kazooie, and he got to do DK64 by himself after that game. So he said to me, look, I want it to be like we're bringing DK up to date. So it was like, you know, it was like 2000, whatever it was, 1998, I can't remember. Yeah, 1998 or 1999 or something. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. So, and of course, at the time, you know, hip-hop and rap is big, right? It's gigantic now, but it's still big then. So he said, look, why don't we do a rap track at the start? Uh, just and it'd be funny the monkeys rapping. I said, oh yeah, if that's a good idea. Let's do that. And he had this idea. He wrote, he wrote, the, he wrote the lyrics right, and he had this idea. There's a track out of the town called uh, "It's Like That," but that's the way it is by Run DMC and Jason Nevins. I think it's a kind of cover yeah. thing. Yeah. So he liked it that kind of fast tempo. And I said, oh no, you don't want that. I was because uh, I'm not up on that kind of music. I said, look, it wants to be like that kind of funky called Medina track by I can't remember who does that. And I found that drumbeat on at a, at a synth uh, Roland JB1018 at, at the dance extra expansion track in it. And I found that. That's that. Funky Cole Medina. That's, I thought, yeah, that's it. So look, George, believe me, I'm, I'm right, you know. Anyway, so off we went. Um, so he was one of the rappers on it. And Chris Sutherland, who was the lead programmer on Banjo, was also the other rapper on it. Because Chris could do a lot of voices. So they did. They, they, we had a little makeshift recording booth at Rare. I just had the, the, the drum beat playing and uh, they just wrapped it out. And I, I said, look, what we should do is associate an instrument with the character. So DK would be the trumpet, Diddy Kong was the guitar, Tiny Kong was the big baritone sax because she's small and that's a big instrument. You know, Chunky Kong was the, I can't remember, whatever it was. <coughs> and just that, so it's every verse when, the, when it changed to a different monkey or ape, um, you'd, you'd have the instrument playing around the background and that's how it worked. Like the big timpani drums, I think, was for Chunky. Um, and so that was it. And I thought, yeah, hilarious. That's this. People can love it. You know, got it all put together, stuck it in the game. We thought we thought it was funny. And like, but when it came out, of course, no one thought it was very funny at all. Um, everyone thought it was me trying to have this credible go at writing proper hip hop rap music, which of course I wasn't. So it kind of did. The joke didn't really, you know, become that great at the time. And I got a bit of a slagging off for it. Um, people used to like the music in the game. It didn't like the rap, but it was mostly kind of um, teenagers, like kids who were like, you know, when you get to be first get into credible music, if you like, you're a teenager, right? I guess that. that yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So they were all like into, into, into credible music going, oh, Grant's is crap, you know. But the young kids who were like five to 10, 12, you name it, whatever, thought it was fantastic. They loved it. They'd think, they all knew the words, they'd dance around in the, in the pajamas, you know, with to their parents, all that kind of stuff. So... I kind of feel like the DK rap at the time didn't go down so well, but it kind of 20 years later, <laughs> everyone seems to like it now. But I guess it's that, it's that kind of funny thing where they get the joke now. They didn't get it at the time. Um, yeah, well, know, they got, they yeah, got remixed in Smash. They got remixed in Smash. Yeah, I mean, I can, I, it's crazy. The, 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 the Nintendo remixed it a few times over the years. Uh, I kept thinking, everyone hates it. <laughs> Why are you doing that? You know? <laughs> Um, but there was like there was an, something as an Australia, I'm sure, over your side of the world, where there's some kind of smash tournament going on, and the entire audience in the room started chanting the DK rap. I've seen that a few times. It was so heartwarming to see those people do that at a tournament. There's like it was packed full of people, and then some guy started, and everyone just sang and knew all the words, and it was just brilliant, you know. So I do feel like it's it's kind of got a second lease of life now, um, and it's become one of those kind of 
video game things that everyone loves to hate or hates to love or whatever it is, you know, like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's one of those crazy things that I feel like my tombstone is going to say, here lies the body of Grant Kirkup, he wrote the DK rap. It's going to be, <laughs> no, it's going to be like that. It's going to be like, never mind what else he did. That's all that's important. Um, so, um, I mean, if that's the case, that's the case. It's been, I don't mind. Did you ever walk past, I mean, because obviously you worked at Rhea with David, Graham, Robin. Did you ever like walk past and hear what they were listening to and that would inspire you or be like, there was a competitiveness there where you're like, oh, I've got to write something better than them. I think there was a bit of a competitive edge, but I think that was, it was prevalent throughout all of Rare. Like the teams were kept very separate. We had the, all the, there was an old manor farmhouse that Rare had bought, right? And, and they had lots of outbuildings that were kind of old stables for horses. And they finally converted each stable into, into a de- development block. So they were, this called the stables that all the teams were in. But every, every, every um, stable had uh, a different, you couldn't get in, all the keys were coded. So you, you couldn't get into another block's stable to see what they were up to. You couldn't see it. So the music guys were, were in a block together because they'd been there before me. Because I was a new one, I, got, I was in, in, the, in the old chicken shed. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I was in the old chicken shed uh, by myself when I first got there. Um, and they were in the music block. And I finally moved into the banjo team itself because the, the, I, I like to be in with the team. It was cool, right? But they were in the music block. Um, so, um, so, yeah, it was like that. So it's kept separate. So all the teams had a, definitely had a kind of competitive edge to try and be better than the other team. But it was friendly. It wasn't that nasty. Um, so... Um, you know, you didn't really see what anybody, anybody was up to or very rarely you didn't really know. So, um, so yeah, I guess, yeah, we did have a little bit of that. But I think musically, I think we're all, we were different to the, because we're, it's a different different discipline music to the rest of it. Um, so um, we were, I mean, I heard, I heard Robin Stephen Graves and I thought it was brilliant. So, you know, so I, I used to be trying to, you know, be as good as them, you know, um, and Dave too, of course. Uh, but but yeah. I think amongst the, amongst the uh, the dev teams, they wouldn't really see the other, uh, another game. Only rarely would you get to see what the other game was going to be like in, in its early stages. You might see it towards the end, but not in the early stages. Yeah, the reason why I ask is because I know uh, Robin did a bit of hip hop for Killer Instinct. So yeah, I was wondering if, if, yeah, Robin. Yeah, yeah, he did a great job. Yeah, he's great. I mean, I was Kenny, I think, if you heard him, were like, oh, hmm, this is. This oh is yeah, definitely. Heard it. Well, I played on Killer Instinct too. I did a guitar on that on the arcade machine. Uh, oh, so, Rob, yeah, Robin did the K1 and K2 on the arcade machine. Uh, Graham did, did K1 with Robin, and um, and and Robin did take K2 by himself on the arcade machine. So he had the full machine in his room, and he could, so he could play through the speaker to get see what it sounded like. We did broad music, and I did the guitar and trumpet actually on um, the uh, on Killer Instinct 2 on the arcade machine. That's like, fact, I got to Rare. That was my first job when I got to Rare. I was, was playing guitar for him. Oh, really? Because you did work on uh, working on the Donkey Kong. Uh, music the donkey kong land i think port it was yeah and the game boy yeah, yeah but that yeah. was like convert yeah that was a kind of yeah so i yeah, heard so that i heard the story that that was really hard and david just chucked you in the deep end and yes, you had to learn like, did. like <laughs> some did. sort of what is it like um, specific coding of some it's sort. in hex yes yeah, in yeah. hex so yeah so like i've, I've never seen that before in my life i was like what on earth is this i was used to midi files and friendly things like that and sequences like seeing like hex just like four numbers on a screen the first <laughs> two numbers of the note second two numbers of the length of the note and you just program it in columns on a black, in, you know, black and white, you know, on the screen and write little sub clauses where you pull in, you know, all that nonsense that I didn't understand. Um, and Dave was brilliant at it. Uh, and just sort of re- just thought I'd understand it. And of course I was a bit stupid and didn't understand it at all. Um, but I got there in the end. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I, was, I was doing kind of that and I, I did guitar for Robin on the, on Killer Instinct and Trumpet as well. So with the, with the Hicks, how long did it take you to really be good at it? 
I don't know if I ever got good at it, but I did my best. Um, I feel like I got to enjoy it in the end, I think, because it's that old, same old thing of, you know, having to try and work with limitations, and sometimes it makes me a bit more creative. So, you know, there's little tricks to make things sound certain ways. And it was, you know, it was fun. You know, I had Dave's music, and I just listened to it and worked it out by ear and put it into the Game Boy, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was all right in the end, but at the start, it was very like, oh, my God, this is going to be terrible. And then Dave said to me, after you finish this, you might get a chance to go into the virtual go. That, that virtual Game Boy at the time, that kind oh, of 3D yes. thing. Yeah. And he said, you, you, you know, there's got two more channels. I was like, oh, God, I'm, I'm not going to enjoy that. <laughs> it's going to be pretty <laughs> awful. But luckily, they, they, they got, kind of got dumped and I never did it. I went into the N64. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I, you know, I did genuinely enjoy doing the Game Boy at the start. It, you know, not at the start. When I first got, when I got properly into it, it was good. It was good fun to try and see. I was trying to see how, got, how to, what you can make it work and make it sound fuller than it was and all that stuff, you know. And some people seem to still like my Sticker Brush Symphony <laughs> rendition. I don't know why on the Game Boy, um, but um, I thought Dave's, Dave's music on DK Two was fantastic. Oh, both of DK One and Two was fantastic. Oh yeah, I think DK Two, uh, DKC Two in particular is just one of the greatest soundtracks yeah, ever. Fantastic, yeah, just, Dave did a, yeah, yeah, ridiculously good. Yeah, yeah, awesome job. He did a great job on that. Yeah. And um, in regards to Goldeneye, I just wanted to ask, is because you and Graham, you pr it pretty much sounded seamless between the two of you. Like, you can't tell that there's two different composers. Right. Like, how did you guys make that happen? Did Pure you guys luck. Pure, Pure luck. luck. Yeah, really? we, never, we, never, we never discussed any of it. Like, because, I guess, you know, we, the sample set and the music was in the, on, on the cartridge, right? All the little samples where the drum sounds and all the they're all on the cartridge. You played the sounds in the cartridge from, the, from your computer, as I worked. So... We're both using the same sound set, so I guess that would that would be half the battle already. The fact that they're using using the same sound set, so that would sound similar. I mean, we have different writing styles. I, I think I can tell. Well, I can tell my own writing style and stuff from Graham, but because we use the same sound set, I guess most people probably couldn't tell the difference between us. And it's completely feasible. That's you know, that's that's probably the reason that if 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 you if you're using the same synth and the same stuff, you just it's going to sound similar for the start, isn't it? So. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever collaborated with an artist? at the same time, because you know how you might have multiple composers working on one game. Right. But only usually, once. usually you're not in the, in, the, in the same room, though. Right, only once. I've only ever collaborated with somebody. I, I, me and Danny Baranowski, who's a great friend of mine, we did desktop dungeons together. Um, that was where he, he'd work on my... I'd write a piece and pass it to him. He'd write a piece and pass it to me, but I'd have bits of Every time I've done it like that. Any time I've collaborated I've been with any other composer, you've done your own thing completely separately. So I like working on Civilization, Beyond Earth, there's me and, and uh, Jeff Nor and Michael Curran and Griffin Cohen. Like, we all did our own stuff, and that's the way it was. So that's the way it's always been. I've never actually physically collaborated on a piece with anybody apart from Danny Baranowski. Hmm. Do you actually get much time to play games? No. Yeah, um, but usually so, it's the case with composers, right? I feel like <laughs> it's got worse as time's gone on. I feel like at Rare, I would play through every game I ever worked on, and I, I, so I knew that. But it got, it got to the point where games got so big, you couldn't get through it before they made the next version of it. So you know, mm. you'd be bug testing it, you know, try to find out, make sure the audio worked, and then another version said you got to start again, another version you've got to start again. So I feel like Grab by the Goodies was the last game that I got through on my own, um, actually all the way through, and I could check it all the way through. Um, I don't feel like any other game I got through anywhere near it. Um, so you know, I think I do try to stay aware of what's going on in the in games world, you know, what kind of thing. But I don't, I don't like getting too close to it because. I don't want to get influenced by anybody else. So I don't really know what other people are writing. I might listen to the main theme of games when they come out and just check out what people are doing. You know, not rival composers, but fellow composers. Um, but I try not to listen too much to what they actually write because I want to make, want, I want to be, keep my head full of me and not full of anybody else. 
Um, so, and that can be a good or a bad thing. I guess if, I, if people like the way I write, great. If they don't, I'm not going to get a gig because they hate the way I write. Right? So, you know, it's like that thing. Um, but I do try to keep my own head clear of anybody else. Apart from people like John Williams, who I know I talk about all the time, but I just, because I idolise him, I listen to him, I listen to his music a lot. Um, I do listen to other people like Alan Silvestri, Danny Elfman, people like that. You know, I do listen to what they do. Um, but games-wise, I don't think I, I don't think I really know what's going on in the games world, like compositionally. I listen to stuff. I listen to Austin Winges, a friend of mine. I listen to stuff or Sarah Shackner or or Danny Vranowski or Jimmy Hinson or I listen to some of that stuff. You know, kind of thing. Um, but I don't. I won't know all of it. I might know the main theme, a couple of pieces. That'll be it because I don't want to get too heavily into what they're doing. Yeah, fair enough. Makes sense. I suppose your kids would probably keep you up with the play too in regards to games. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. son's a massive gamer. So I do hear stuff, you know, kind of thing there, but not as much as you did think, you know, I really do try to keep myself clear of um, other people's stuff. And I said, that could be detrimental. It could be, I don't know. Well, if it works for you, then it's all well, so far, but I mean, but I mean, like I say, you know, I think you do, it's good to know what is going on, but I don't get too into it. As I say, I might listen to a main theme, I might listen to a couple of pieces from a game or whatever it is to see what people are up to. Um, but I don't know, know stuff intimately by any means. Yeah. Well, hey, if I ever um, get Peter Jackson or somebody or some film director on here, I'll, uh, I'll see if I can <laughs> be no, like, hey, you should get... Yeah, I'll just I'll be like, hey, uh, you want to get Grant Kirkhope to do the, the sound soundtrack yes yeah, that's good to do that i'll give you a backhander <laughs> <laughs> yeah is there any is there any um game franchises or any particular movie franchise that you'd want to work on if given the i guess i'd love to have a crack yeah i'd love to have a crack at zelda i mean it never happened but i'd love to have a crack at zelda i love zelda oh they but could I, get it, you to do one song or one track yeah, or something well, i mean and zelda into the past it's my favorite game of all time i love that game on the snares it was so good yes um i just think it's brilliant uh i think movie wise uh well, right now, my my goal is right now, which is it's a little bit in the, in the clouds, and I'm never going to get there. But um, Illumination, who do the um, Despicable Me and the uh, Minions movies and stuff like that, they are making yeah. a Super Mario Brothers full yes, animation. They are, they are, yes. So that is that's my goal. I want to compose for that movie. I feel like I've done the Mario Rabbids game now. I know Mario, and I know working with Nintendo. I know what they like about protecting their music, and they're very they want you to respect the character. And I've I've got that. I know how to respect Mario. And I really think I could do a good job at the Mario movie. I mean, you know, I'm, I fully accept that I'm probably going to get nowhere near it. The police going to hire some Hollywood AAA guy. I guess that's the way it goes. Um, but I really think that that would be, a, I could do a good job of the Super Mario movie. I really feel like I could do a good job of that. So I'm trying I to get myself in the, in the frame for that. I have, I, have, I have a few little connections that are, that are probably going to go nowhere. Um, but um, uh, I am, I'm actively trying to do something about that. But as I say, I doubt very, very strong and get anywhere near it because i'd imagine in la it's all about who you know right it's just totally like, yeah yeah so how do you how do you network how do you get out there and uh, are you telling me i don't know it's one of those <laughs> things that you just have to you know it's i feel like having a talent is 50 percent, and the other 50 percent is is uh the people that you know without a doubt um like just being a good composer is going to get you nowhere um so you know uh, quite honestly, I don't really know how to get to get to those kind of top director people. You got, I could guess to get that the Mario movie, you probably, you probably have to know the director. Like they're not even announced it yet. There's only two people on the on the on the IMDb and things so far. It's like Shigeru Miyamoto and Christopher Melandandri, who's the head of the 
Hell of Illumination. That's the two people that are, there's nobody else associated with the movie. So I don't even know who's producing it, and it's no, no, I don't have no idea. So when they finally announce who those people are, maybe I can try and find out and get to them, you know, and maybe they get their gamers, and maybe I'll get a shot at it. Uh, but um, probably not. <laughs> you know. Well, hey, you never know. It's it's not like it's unrealistic. It's actually quite plausible. I mean, it, it actually well, I mean, makes, it makes makes a lot of sense to be perfectly fair because well, I feel like it, you've yeah, worked I in that like world it. before. You know how it all works. Yeah. Um, uh, and Nintendo know me well. So, like, you know, you know Nintendo are going to be super protective about that IP because that's their biggest IP they have run. Yeah, They're not going to get and let anybody illumination otherwise make a mess of it. So, you know, they know how respectful I am of their properties. They've worked with me before. They know that I'm, I'm completely easy to work with. I'll do whatever what they want. So, you know, I feel like... <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like... I, you know, I could do a good job of that movie. I can, I can, I can, job, can make a good job of it, and I would, I would, I would pour my entire life and soul into that project for as long as it takes to make it brilliant. So, all I can do is, is well, maybe, know. yeah, maybe we need to like make, take a clip of this podcast and then just plaster it all over social media. That's right, and get you the word, to. get the word out, so they get know. Petition. Get a petition going. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> well, cool. So, um, that, yeah. That would be my, my kind of goal, I would think, um, in the immediate future. Apart from working on more games, which I would really like to do. But movie-wise, I'd like, I, think, I feel like the Mario thing would be a good fit for me. Have you met John Williams? No. Oh, I've been in the same room as him a few times. I was too scared to talk to him. What? So I never, actually, I never, oh. I never, I never, said, I never said hello. But um, I've been in the same room as him a couple of times, like two or three times, and I you know, just kind of looked at him from afar. You didn't want to walk up to him and just be like, hey, I'm a huge fan. Mind you, that's quite cliche to do that, isn't it? I know. What do you say? I mean, I just, I don't know what you're saying. I, I kind of feel like the, the best way to meet someone like that would be, you know, some kind of a setting where you got to, I don't know. Some well, someone, needs to, someone needs to introduce you. That's usually the yeah. best way. I think when you I just rock, like, rock up to someone and just start talking to them, it can... I know, it's difficult. You know, I think most a lot of us composers are introverts, really. We don't like being like, like, like that. So, um yeah, as I say, same room a couple of two, three times. I just, I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Because obviously, you you are very well known in the video game world. Do you get stopped on the street? Do you still have anonymity? Okay, I, I do get that. It's weird. I think it's, it's actually happening more and more these days. I don't, I don't know quite know why. Um, I like I go into the grocery store and the guy on the ticket, I'll go and get my credit card and say, "Just a minute, you're Grant Kirk, are you the guy?" And it, like, it starts a bit like that. Uh, I was walking on the street with my son the other day and he went a Banjo Kazooie t-shirt and someone said, oh, Banjo Kazooie. And they went, oh, God, you're great. You know, like, it's a bit like that. So I do get it occasionally. It's a bit weird. Um, I always try to be nice to people, you know. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it's not like it happens every day, but it certainly, it seems like more and more these days, um, which is nice. I'm like, you know, for God's sake, you'd, you'd thought that, that I'd ever been known for anything apart from nothing. <laughs> well, it just goes to show that um, you never know what's around the corner, right? True. You know, as I say, I'm still in the game. I'm still doing it. I'm still cracking on with the stuff that I do. Um, I just, you've got to make, your, I think you've got to make your own look. I don't, and I'm by no means good at that, but I am endeavouring to make, to do that. Hmm. Well, uh, listen, I'll probably wrap up here. Thank you so much for doing this. I know you're a very, very busy man. Uh, so everyone can just follow you on social media. You're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that jazz, aren't you? I am, yeah. I guess Twitter's probably my main source of um, malarkey. I do like messing around on Twitter. It's good fun. I, I, all the people that follow me have a good laugh and it's kind of a very good natured. So I do like, you know, mess, messing around on Twitter. So that's probably my best thing at Grant Kirkup. Yeah. Um, so uh, you'll get me there. 
Okay, that's good. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so glad that you're doing okay, given the, um, the environment, particularly in the States. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Well, you know, we're just keeping ourselves to ourselves. We're not going out and that's all you can do until it's all over, until we get a vaccine or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, fingers crossed for that. Cool. All right. Well, that's the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe and support Grant. Get the petition going for him to get the, <laughs> get the composing role for uh, the Super Mario film. Yeah, so it's a drink in it for all of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, imagine if you won an award for it too. That would be better, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Stay safe, everyone. See ya.